In summary, uh, you know, we're proud of the service that we provide um, here in, in California and uh, around the nation, around the world. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's a really, really difficult decision for us uh, to decide to leave a market as important to us as, as Los Angeles for that, for those interfacility transports. And we've been providing service in Los Angeles County for uh, more than 50 years. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. Hello and welcome to another edition of uh, EMS One Stop. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence. And in this edition, I'm going to be talking to Brian Hendrickson from GMR. And Brian, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, uh, Rob. Uh, I am a regional director uh, with uh, Global Medical Response here in California. And thank you so much for talking to me so rapidly because on September the 12th, AMR put out a letter to its LA market to shut down non-emergency am- its non-emergency ambulance division in LA due to low-cost medical reimbursement and the high cost of operating in the region. But I've been saying on this podcast and in sessions around the country for many years that EMS is a business, like it or not. If the money's not coming in, we can't pay the money out. We can't pay potential, you know living wages in some some cases and so i think this is one of those massive torpedoes that you've just fired to really draw attention to the fact that we need to pay attention to the to income to the ability to actually sustain a business what's the rationale and the backstory from the from the gmr perspective Uh, i think it's a great question um and uh you really summarize the issues well uh we're seeing uh costs increasing um, all around the industry, um, and it's it's not just an EMS. It's uh, it's hitting every industry, and for us, it's uh, higher fuel costs, higher general supply chain costs, uh, medical equipment, ambulance uh, fleet, personnel costs are increasing, and we're not seeing a similar increase in reimbursement. And in some cases, we're not seeing reimbursement rates that have increased for for more than two decades. Um, and that's really making it challenging to meet, um, you know, the, the, the needs of an EMS system and be able to uh, uh, pay living wage and, and uh, take care of our teams um, if we're not able to uh, make money um, from the payers. So for full disclosure, we're sitting here at the end of the California Ambulance Association uh, Convention. We're about to go into the American Ambulance Association uh, Annual Trade Show and Conference in both of those forums and in many other state associations around the country, we've been predicting this. We've been predicting that if things don't change, something's going to give. And clearly, you have now issued very serious notice to, in particular, LA County. But I also noticed in the news this week, the city of Youngstown, Ohio, has had a similar, you know, a, a similar notice. Obviously, it's all come back down to the economics. I think this is going to happen more might not necessarily be GMR, it might be, but I think everyone's now looking at the finances and realising that, you know, money, in the words of Simply Red, money's too tight to mention. And, you know, what do we need to do to 
rectify the situation? Medicaid reimbursement rates are at the core of the fix here. And uh, I know California, uh, you know, I can tell you in, in California, uh, I think we're ranked 48 out of 50 states uh, for Medicaid uh, ambulance reimbursement. And uh, that, that is for a, a non-emergent transport, somewhere around $110, and for emergent transport, $120, which doesn't come close to covering uh, the cost to provide those services. Uh, there hasn't been a Medi-Cal rate increase in California for ambulance providers since 1999, so it's over two decades now uh, without any real improvement in the rate. And that's a story we see uh, repeated uh, across the nation. And so we really need to see um, the, the rates increased um, with our state Medicaid programs uh, to make sure that our EMS systems and our ambulance providers are sustainable well into the future. One of the things I've certainly realized, actually since the pandemic, is I, people, I, I believe, all never really took an interest in EMS reimbursement. They just thought it was, you know, that's the thing that happens in the back office. And of course, since the pandemic, I've certainly found that more people now realize that unless we get this right, then we can't, you know, instruct pay rises. Um, unlike the rest of industry, the rest of commerce, you know, we can't just increase our the price in our supermarkets or the price of the food in our restaurants in order to pay our staff more. We have to take what we're given. But if you're talking to the guys on the truck, the, the employees, what do you want? To, what do you want to tell them and talk to them about how they can help us to? get our politicians to understand that we need to do something or else it's just going to break completely. Uh, we all want to see our EMS workforce uh, making more money and, and really the way right. that we're going to get there, um, the way that we're going to improve those wages is by working together in, in partnership. Uh, you know, Public safety and, and healthcare staffing shortages are, are certainly being exacerbated by uh, you know, decreasing revenues and increasing costs and uh, we, we want to work alongside our workforce, our, uh, our labor leaders um, to really push for those Medicaid increases. Our state legislators and our local politicians need to understand how EMS systems are funded and that what happens uh, not only to ambulance providers but our, but our workforce uh, when that funding does not meet uh, the basic needs of those EMS systems. We are here at the CAA conference and we've had some great panels actually and, and I know you've been sitting in and listening to these but one of the ones we had yesterday was to invite all of our major union leaders from the state into the conference and if, if you haven't done this at your conference I commend you do it because actually what we asked them to do was talk to us and tell us their views about how we can work much better together. But also one of the things that we're all agreeing on is the fact that we have to work together in lockstep in order to effect a change. And here in California, we are, we've created a, a pretty cool coalition where it's equal amounts of uh, management and owners and ambulance services and our labor colleagues. And that's the only way I think we're going to affect a change and, and I'm certainly looking forward to inviting them back onto this podcast because of course I asked them, I said, would you come and talk to us because I'm not sure I've listened to any podcasts on an EMS channel that's actually had a, a, a lot of our, our labour leaders and so I'm looking forward to doing that. But I think you're right, that's the way forward. We have to now work in a coalition in order to get these things done. We were just chatting about our future plans here in California and I think it could, could be a model for other states. I know other states have already affected this particular uh, increase 
but you know, what's going to be our collective model going forward this legislative year? How are we going to get the attention? How are we going to um, you know, attract the attention of our legislators, the governor, and then increase the funding? What's, what's the perfect roadmap? I'm glad you kind of recapped the, the, the presentation from the labor leaders yesterday. It was interesting because we, we started uh, this conference and uh, the first thing you heard from the CAA was our number one priority is uh, the revenue uh, issue that we're facing, uh, particularly with Medicaid. And the labor panel was not there for that part of the conference. Uh, they were later in the afternoon. and. Uh, they got onto the stage and it was asked of all of them what they saw as the number one issue. And it was the exact same thing that the California Ambulance Association membership uh, was noting. It was uh, Medicaid revenue uh, and the impact that that has on them and their workforce. In terms of a strategy, uh, I think uh, ambulance providers and our labor leaders uh, and generally our workforce are seeing that there is a lot of shared interest here um, in resolving this issue. And so we really have to come together as a group uh, and uh, affect change. Um, and, and that means uh, kind of joining hands, uh, working uh, with, with local uh, legislative leaders, uh, going to the state capitol, uh, talking to people and making sure that they understand uh, the challenges uh, that we're collectively facing. Uh, the health of the EMS industry, generally the health of ambulance providers, all directly relates to the health of our workforce and uh, their families. I'm going to give a shout out to Jason Brini from AFSME because he said something that really struck a chord with me and that uh, a union it spends maybe three or four months of a four-year cycle discussing uh, you know, the, the collective bargaining agreement, discussing you know, rates, and the rest of the time providing we're doing our bit and they're doing their bit, it should be, there should be, you know, theoretically, and I'm making those little rabbit ears, nothing else to do, and the suggestion was, which we all agree, let's move forward as one to increase the lot of our workers, and that, and in order to do that, of course, that requires more Medicaid reimbursement or Medi- Medi-Cal in, in the state of California reimbursement, and uh, so that really struck me that, you know, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be working together, and we are working together, and I'm excited about that. On the federal level, the AAA level, of course, we're working hand-in-hand hand on this type of legislation with our fire colleagues and also uh, NEMT, of course, who have a major lobbying uh, arm as well. And so, you know, these things are happening, and we are working so hard together. I mean, coming back to the sort of LA issue, Brian, obviously you've given 180 days notice. This came out in a, in a press release on September the 12th, but I'm assuming you had some discussions beforehand to say, listen, this is getting to the point where we're going to have to take some, some drastic action. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've been having conversations with uh, our partners in that market for some time right. about the challenges that we are facing. It's not the first time anybody's heard from us or the industry, I think, in California mm. uh, about the challenges with uh, government reimbursement uh, for ambulance services. Uh, there were attempts in, in recent years with trying to improve reimbursement rates uh, in the state of California, and uh, those unfortunately did not make their way all the way through the, the legislature and onto the governor's desk uh, for a signature. And we hope we hope that changes in the future. Yeah. Uh, so you know, people in the state know that this has been a challenge. Our hospital partners in that area know it's been a challenge, and uh, really, 
uh, our shift of, of focus uh, in the, the Los Angeles market is a, away from a, uh, a service line of interfacility transport, in, interfacility transport uh, mostly at the, the basic life support level, but also um, some CCT services, bring those employees back over um, making sure uh, that we're able to bring as many employees along as we can to focus on uh, some of our core 911 services that we provide in those areas. So GMR is certainly not leaving the, the Los Angeles marketplace altogether. Uh, but we've determined that uh, the fee-for-service reimbursement in, in that area just uh, doesn't cut it anymore. And, uh, you know, as we announced, there's nearly $4 million loss projected for this year in uh, Los Angeles alone uh, for the for the 25,000 or so transports we handle uh, in the IFT marketplace there. So thank you for explaining that. And uh, we'll talk some more after the break. Don't forget, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Amazon Music. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this show, bearing in mind we're on a brand new podcast platform, please take a second to rate and review us. But let's have a word from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. Welcome back. Talking to Brian Hendrickson. And uh, before the break, we had that discussion about the uh, GMR notice to uh, cease IFT, which uh, for those not in with the lingo is interfacility transport operations in the LA area in order to focus on the 911 operations. And so that, as I say, is a sort of massive torpedo fired in the water, not just to the market in which you're in. I think that's something that, that federal folk will take notice of because we've been saying all along, we can't afford to do this at the level of reimbursement that we're receiving. And I think that message is loud and clear. Where do you see the future of EMS in the California market? With, with, if things don't change, what do you think it's going to look like? I, I think we're concerned that we can see this happen to other providers. Um, we're starting to hear those rumblings already in other states of uh, other providers outside of GMR that are having these same issues uh, with, with Medicaid reimbursement. And for us right now uh, in California, this was a decision we were making around the interfacility transport market and the challenge we are having there. We've heard similar announcements come out recently in, in the Washington market for another provider. And, and uh, I, I, I think I'm concerned that if we don't see increases in Medicaid, that we can see this actually uh, cause uh, more problems for us in the 911 uh, area where we're providing emergent uh, services and uh, if we see reimbursement continue to stagnate in those areas, mm. uh, that, that sooner um, or later we're going to see uh, the same issue we saw in the IFT Los Angeles market, uh, which is our cost uh, far exceeding uh, our revenues. Right, and that cost, let's not forget, people listening, covers those folk that are on a low level of income already. Uh, it affects 
perhaps the most socially economically challenged uh, aspects of our community because we're talking about the medical re- so these people aren't insured we're getting a government we get it's, it's a government reimbursement and so there's a massive equity issue here uh, in terms of that you know we're not getting funded to treat the people that probably need us the most and i hope our politicians realize that and we need to make that message i think very loud and very clear uh, certainly there's an equity issue here right. that, that we're paying attention to and it's important for us to be taking care of the whole community and uh, that includes um, uh, all populations, um, and in, in particular the, the Medi-Cal and Medicare populations. So it is concerning when you see uh, reimbursement so much lower uh, for a, a, a group of folks that may, may not be um, getting um, uh, the same uh, equitable treatment um, as, it, as it comes to uh, reimbursement. Brian, I've also heard your voice a couple of times now on some of our state um, hearings uh, in, the, in the emergency management realm. We've had a number of hearings about APOT, Amlet's Patient Offload Time, or Wall Time, no matter what you call it. Again, some great sessions here at the CAA conference. We've had Doug Wolfberg coming in, talking about this very thing. Of course, uh, PWW, and Doug in particular, has been very passionate and very vocal about hospital delays. You elegantly gave us some, some live examples and some live issues on the various hearings. And of course, one of the questions that I asked uh, our uh, our panels in this in this particular conference is, you know, now that COVID's gone away, you know, should we just forget about wall time? What's well, your views? I and wish, how does it affect the economics, of course? I, I wish we could forget about wall times. I wish the wall times went away. It's interesting uh, now that, uh, you know, quote-unquote, COVID has ended. We thought we would see a, uh, a comparable reduction in wall time uh, issues at our, at our hospitals. And, Unfortunately, that hasn't been true in, in many of our areas that we're currently providing services. California has some of the, the worst wall times, hospital wall times in the nation. And it, at the core of this is um, how it's impacting our patients and how it's impacting our, our, our caregivers. Uh, patients are left on gurneys, and we have plenty of cases to, to point to where pa- patients have been left on gurneys in, in hospital hallways uh, with their EMS caregivers uh, for greater than 12 hours. And in some systems, it's, it's a regular occurrence for that to be over two or three hours. And uh, you can imagine for patients sitting on a gurney that long waiting for a, a hospital bed, many of these patients uh, with mobility issues um, and the elderly. And on top of that, our caregivers are left standing in a hospital hallway. And when, when, they're, with, uh, when, when they're with that patient and unable to transfer care, uh, they're not able to take a break. They're not able uh, to eat their lunch. And in many cases are, are being uh, forcefully held over past the end of their shift uh, because they're still taking care of a, of a patient uh, that they brought into that hospital uh, prior to the end of their shift. All of that leads to frustrations for patients and caregivers and ambulance providers alike and an incredibly inefficient way to do business. And Again, in a uh, system where the revenue is not covering costs, you, you have to be more efficient. And certainly spending a couple of hours on a hospital wall um, is not an efficient way to run ambulance services. And so part of the fix to this uh, issue with rising costs has to be uh, working to improve our hospital wall times to free up um, that patient, get them onto a hospital bed where they can get the definitive care that they need, but also to free up our caregivers so they can get 
some rest, a break, some food, and can be ultimately available back into an EMS system to care for the next patient. And that's, that's again, a, a major point that we, we have to make. If you're stuck at the hospital, then you're not getting the next patient in, and that becomes another you know, social inequity. We just can't get back out to treat the next person in. Let's go back to funding for a second, because one of the things that uh, certainly has been talked about here in California is that whilst we're struggling to get a Medi-Cal raise, others may well appear to be getting a lot more for their services. Um, and, and we're talking about uh, our, our colleagues in the fire department that may well actually almost get a windfall for 911 response. Yeah, it's interesting that the state has preliminarily approved a plan in California to reimburse fire-based, um, public-based uh, ambulance services more than $1,000 per ambulance trip. And again, I'm comparing that to $120 per trip for a Medi-Cal transport uh, for a private ambulance provider. The proposed public provider transportation rates are, are significantly above the cost of providing the service and it's essentially allowing public agencies to profit off of providing care to our most vulnerable populations in California. Uh, ambulance transportation rates, in, in, in our belief, is that they, they should not treat public providers and preferential to, to private providers when they're providing the exact same service uh, to our community. Certainly compensating public providers more for a service than other ambulance providers is going to create inequity in EMS systems and uh, potentially is, is anti-competitive. And that's going to cause costs to continue to increase uh, for patients and for taxpayers in this state. Right. This is me pretending to be naive here. So we've got a publicly funded service and then they're getting more money even though the taxpayer is paying for them to do what they do. Yeah. And, you know, we think all providers should be uh, should be treated fairly and equitably. Uh, and in this case, we, we know some uh, public providers have a cost that they've indicated is closer to $600, say, uh, for an ambulance transport, um, yet they would be eligible in this plan that the state um, is uh, considering approving and, and pushing forward to CMS to, to compensate them in excess of $1,000 for that trip. So is there anything I've forgotten to ask you, Brian, or that you want to tell me before we go? No, you know, I think in summary, uh, you know, we're proud of the service that we provide um, here in, in California and uh, around the nation, around the world. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's a really, really difficult decision for us uh, to decide to leave a market as important to us as, as Los Angeles for that for those interfacility transports. And we've been providing service in Los Angeles County for uh, more than 50 years, uh, but there needs to be some some drastic change uh, at the state level uh, with reimbursement, and uh, we're hoping that we get there this year uh, with our new legislature. We hope so, and uh, of course, I'm wearing my California Ambulance Association hat when I'm talking to you. Uh, we are going to, of course, support each other in terms of going forward this year, in terms of taking the message to our legislators. And hopefully we can affect change in order to keep everybody in business. So thank you very much. If we want to get hold of you, Brian, how can we do that? Uh, you can reach me uh, via email, uh, brian.henriksen at gmr.net. Excellent. Thank you very much. And, of course, uh, do follow all of uh, GMR on the, uh, the, the, the Twitter site.
that's about all for now. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1 or over on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always over there. My articles are always popping up here, there and everywhere. Don't also forget to follow me every Wednesday on The Escalator With, where we interview somebody for about 30 seconds and you try to give an answer in 30 seconds. It's quite a challenge to give that soundbite. So hats off to all those people that were brave enough to go down The Escalator With me every week. Uh, that's been all for now. Thank you, Brian Hendrickson. I've been Rob Lawrence. This has been EMS One Stop. Until next time, bye for now.